Hello, in this week's show, why cookery classes are proving a hit with visually impaired children in Rome. We hear the latest stories from the UN News team, and as ever, there'll be closing comments to savour from regular guest Solange Behatega Cortez. That's all coming up in this week's UN Catch Up Dateline Geneva. Thanks for listening. First, the news. This is the news in brief from the United Nations. Without a planet to live on, there will be no human rights. That powerful statement comes from UN High Commissioner for Human Rights, Michelle Bachelet, ahead of the UN Climate Change Conference COP26, starting on Sunday in Scotland. For her, climate action is a human rights obligation and a matter of survival. Only urgent action can mitigate disasters that will have huge, and in some cases lethal, impacts on everyone. The High Commissioner called on member states to fulfill their climate finance commitments, not ignore them for a second year in a row. She also argued that those directly affected should have a seat at the table. The triple threat of climate change, pollution and biodiversity loss constitutes the single greatest challenge to human rights in our era, Ms. Bachelet added. Developing countries are already suffering economic losses three times greater than high-income nations because of disasters related to climate. In a new report released on Thursday, the UN Trade and Development Body is calling for a transformative approach. This new strategy should include large-scale public investments for the future, as well as current threats and green industrial policies to drive growth and job creation. With rising temperatures, more intense heat waves, increasingly powerful cyclones, longer droughts and higher sea levels are unavoidable. Adaptation costs for developing countries have doubled in the last decade. This will only go up, reaching $300 billion in 2030 and $500 billion in 2050. The UN Special Rapporteur Alina Doan called on Thursday for the lifting of unilateral sanctions by some countries, such as the United States, against Zimbabwe. She also urged meaningful dialogue on political reform, human rights and the rule of law. Following a visit to the country, the experts said that sanctions had exacerbated social and economic challenges with devastating consequences for ordinary people. Over the last 20 years, sanctions have negatively impacted access to healthcare, food, safe drinking water, education and employment. She said many companies, as well as foreign banks, applied zero-risk policies and were overly compliant, fearing heavy penalties for breaching sanctions. Alexandre Soares, UN News. The headline's there and you're listening to UN Catch-Up Dateline Geneva with me, Daniel Johnson. Now, it's pretty much understood that a varied diet is essential for us to all grow and thrive, but for visually impaired people this can be a challenge without the visual appeal of what's on their plate to encourage them to tuck in. To turn this situation around, there's a hands-on healthy cooking lab in the heart of Rome. The class invites visually impaired children to learn how to become young chefs and how to have a good time too. Let's find out more now in this UN Food and Agriculture Organisation feature. It's a Saturday afternoon in a large, light-filled church hall in Rome. Around a long table, just beside the church kitchen, sits a group of teenagers, busy at work slicing vegetables. Potatoes, carrots, eggplants, zucchini. 
prepping them to make veggie kebabs. For the past six years, they've been meeting here twice a month to share the pleasure of cooking and eating together and learning about nutrition. All of the kids are visually impaired. Some can't see at all, others just a little. Some have other challenges too. The cooking lab, called Tocco Anuso Asaggio, Touch, Smell and Taste, was launched by Nahe Deslaye. She's a Palestinian-Israeli special needs educator who's been working in Rome with those who are blind and visually impaired for more than 40 years. Not being able to see your food makes it less attractive. When we pass by a pastry shop, we see how good something looks. Mm, Yum, look at that. Sight helps develop our other senses. But for the blind, taste isn't helped by sight. That's why what they eat is often very limited, and especially why they often refuse to eat vegetables. Which is why she has one rule for kids when they try a new vegetable. Before you tell me you don't like it, you have to take five bites. And if after five bites you still don't like it, fine. This proved to be a leap forward because they kept eating after five bites because they liked it. Nahide comes up with recipes that taste good, but that also use seasonal vegetables and fruits. She uses herbs to add flavor instead of salt, oil instead of butter, and halves the sugar content. Kids who can't see don't do as much exercise as others, so nutrition is extra important. Le mele, la farina, lo zucchero. 13-year-old Matteo lists off the ingredients of his favorite recipe he's made here, apple pie. He's been coming to the program since he was seven. He says new recipes aren't all he takes back home with him. Now I help my grandmother cook, and when my dad comes home from grocery shopping, I always go to see what he bought. He also eats a range of vegetables, including his new favorite, pumpkin. Before I started coming here, I didn't want to touch or taste new food. But thanks to the food program, I've learned to. Matteo's mom, Giuliana Pomarico, remembers just how little he ate as a toddler. She says when he did start eating, all he wanted were French fries, burgers, and fried cutlets, salty, fatty food. The only way he'd eat vegetables is if they were pureed. And even that wasn't easy. Because he couldn't see, whenever Matteo touched anything that was slimy or slippery, like boiled carrots or even pasta, he would gag. She says the hands-on approach Naida takes helped Matteo overcome his reaction. Here, the kids pick up the raw vegetables. They dip their fingers into olive oil. They also touch the cooked food to feel how it changes when it's cooked. As a parent, you're running around, taking your child to therapy, gym, school, so you really don't have the time to dedicate to cooking and teaching your child about food. So this time spent here has been very productive. Matteo now has a good relationship with food and even eats fruit that before he wouldn't even touch. Marcia Filipino, mom of another boy here, Ricardo, 
says Nahida's program has not just improved what he eats, but how. He is now used to sitting and eating at a table together with others. This was always a challenge for us at home because our principal concern was just to get him to eat. So we'd often do what you do with a two-year-old, feed him separately, as quickly as possible before he'd lose interest. Thanks to this program, Ricardo sits with his friends around the table. He's learnt to eat with others. Imitation is so important. 21-year-old Patrizio is a history buff who says he loves hanging out with his buddies here. He's the one who asked to make vegetable kebabs today. Because I love skewers, I love the little sticks. And I love vegetables too. Potatoes, sweet peppers, eggplant. He says he's also learned another important skill. How to recognize a spoon, a fork and a knife. Including how to cut with knives. Not an easy feat for those who can't see. But with the help of several volunteers and careful instruction, many in the group are safely using knives and skewers. Each Saturday after the kids prepare the recipe, whether muffins or a potato flan, into the oven or onto the stove, the food goes. Today, as the delicious smell of roasting vegetables fills the room, out come percussion instruments, with each member of the group getting a different one. Music therapist Alessandro Severa starts pushing and pulling on his accordion, circling the table, singing a song of greeting to each of the kids. This is Severa's fourth year of pairing music with cooking with the group. Different activities, he says, that sharpen fine motor coordination and enrich sensorial perception. Music and food are the two great joys of life. I like eating and so I like cooking. It's a sphere of human existence that everyone should have the right to experience. Many thanks to the Food and Agriculture Organization for that feature from the Touch, Smell, Taste cooking session in Rome. Delicious. Now for some closing thoughts, let's hear from Solange Berhatege Cortez, who's with us here virtually in the studio. Hi, Solange. Hola, Daniel. ¿Cómo estás? Who says children shouldn't play in the kitchen? We have just heard an incredible story from the UN Food Agriculture Organization about visually impaired children who are discovering that perhaps you cannot see what you eat, but you definitely can touch and smell it. And who says that writing a poem is different from cooking dinner? For Charles Simic, a poet born in Belgrade and who as a teenager emigrated to the United States, in poetry, as in cooking, it's all a matter of subtle little touches that come from long experience or are the result of sudden inspiration. Daniel, Charles Simic has a tasty story. Once, while he was giving a poetry reading in a cafe, he noticed that whenever food was mentioned in a poem, blissful smiles would break out of the faces of people in the audience. 
it led to his realization that in a country where most people were not fans of poetry, but who loved to eat fast food, poems should mention food more frequently. So he created the gastronomic poetry movement. His love poem called Café Paradiso is an example of gastronomic poetry. My chicken soup thickened with pounded young almonds, my blend of winter greens, dearest tagliatelle with mushrooms, fennel, anchovies, tomatoes, and vermouth sauce, beloved monk fish braised with onions, capers, and green olives. Give me your tongue tasting of white beans and garlic. Who says that describing taglatele with mushrooms can't be as sensual an experience as trying to put words to a kiss? I admit this could be a fat argument to defend. If you consider how the perfect kiss is described by the Argentinian writer Julio Cortázar, it's hard to do his work justice in this short time we have. But it's interesting how he compares the embrace to a taste of ripe fruit. Poetry provides nourishment for the soul. Words conjure sadness, joy, enthusiasm, happiness. Well, gastronomy is not so different. When you are in front of an exquisite dish, you are simply happy. Who said children shouldn't play in the kitchen? Some may become young chefs and have a good time while they eat healthily. Maybe they not, do not see clearly, but they are touching, smelling, and tasting a variety of sensations. And last, Daniel, who said a poet cannot play in the kitchen? Thank you, Solange. I guess inspiration comes from everywhere, so why not the kitchen? And thanks to our friends at the Food and Agriculture Organization for that perfectly turned out feature from Touch, Smell, Taste cooking class in Rome. And how interesting that nutrition is extra important for visually impaired kids who do less exercise than other children. We're out of time, so thank you, Solange, for your thoughts again. Thank you, listeners, for being part of this show and for following the UN's work. We'll be back next week. Don't forget, if you want more headlines, stories and interviews, just check out unnews forward slash audio hub. That's it then. Bye-bye for now. Ciao, Daniel. Thank you.